In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Master, we have toiled all the night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. St. Peter's use of the word toil here is rich with meaning stretching deep into Old Testament history. On the one hand, this precise word for toil in casual use, as in among the fishermen communities of the Sea of Galilee, would have meant something like, we've taken a beating. Among faithful Jews in Galilee, though, it would be also a familiar term to describe what it felt like to be faithful to God in the midst of a very contrary world that was happy to kick that faithfulness in the teeth. Toiling is a concept spanning the whole of the Jewish spiritual tradition. It begins in the Garden of Eden, when, for the sin of man and the woman, God pronounced to the man that, quote, cursed is the ground for his sake. In toil he shall eat of it all the days of his life. That toil was always an image of man's eventual death, his being returned to the ground that was the source of his toil. The corruption of sin inclined life in the world and the world itself in toward a state of anti-creation, of being dissolved, of being returned to the nothingness from which God had called into order the creation at the beginning. To toil meant to experience a continual reminder of humanity's departure from the abundant creativity of God and into a fervent scratching for sustenance that ultimately always seemed to come up short. Religion did not offer much rescue from the weight of this problem, but instead something more like a riddle surrounding it. Toil emerges again in the wisdom sayings of Ecclesiastes, quote, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man for all his labor in which he toils under the sun? Or again, as in Psalm 43, the psalmist questions, Why go I so heavily while the enemy oppresses me? Then, perhaps most iconically in Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. To toil in this religious sense meant to endure the exhaustion of soul experienced while resisting the temptations to be unfaithful to God. To remain hopeful, to remain faithful in hopes of the fulfillment of a promise that they were unlikely to see in their lifetime. Such toil meant the spiritual beating one endured for being faithful, even while the wicked always seemed to flourish, to be one step ahead of the righteous. In the mouth of St. Peter, the word toil summarized not only the kind of day he was having, but also the history of his people and the history of all people 
It was not just that the work had been hard, but that the labor had been in vain. They had caught nothing in the darkness but lifeless water. They had been conscripted after a hard night's work into an act of religious courtesy to another rabbi whose words hadn't put food on the table or paid the rent. To be asked to go out and do it all again would have seemed futile, even ironic and cruel, to men who were exhausted in body and soul. The spiritual tendency on display in St. Peter is anciently called dejection. At its root, the word means to be thrown down. It goes beyond despondency, to be bowed over by the weight of life. Dejection is a serious condition of being flattened to the ground and of ceasing to be able to move forward. It is just one step before despair, the decision ultimately not to get back up again. Dejection tells us a story about the burdens we bear in the world both those we have inherited and those that we acquire to ourselves. It interprets those burdens to be, in the end, the immovable objects of life that are bound to dash us to pieces if we give them enough time. Dejection wages a constant counter-argument against the voice of hope in the heart and the encouragement that hope always brings, the encouragement always to look up again. Dejection is the voice when we have been knocked down that says incessantly and insistently, stay down. In our work, dejection feeds on our sense of weariness, the natural result of expending our energy, and insinuates in that weariness a kind of bitterness that we are we always have to feel so tired. It is not the sensation of being tired itself, but rather it's a kind of cold and passive anger that things just can't be made a little easier for once. In our lives of faith, there is a parallel. Dejection becomes a kind of rigidity of heart that tolerates the fact that God must exist and that he is well within his rights to command us to do things, but exchanges that allowance for maintaining the suspicion that he might just be indifferent to our plight. He is God omnipotent after all. How much can he really relate to the experience of exhaustion? It's why the place where the sign of the miraculous catch of fish begins is in that small word, nevertheless. It doesn't negate the complaint that Peter just leveled at Christ. He's still tired from an unsatisfying job and the annoying intrusiveness of religion. But there, standing with Christ, something moves in Peter to say, even so. I'll do what you ask. And that is where life begins again. Teeming life. Life 
in almost comical quantities from otherwise empty waters, even while out of the inertia of Peter's dejection arises a renewal of heart and a way forward. Dejection had turned his work into toil. But in the presence of Christ and at the sound of the voice of his calling, toil was made new into the labor that would define Peter's life. It's why it is possible for the same man who had cursed the seeming futility of life, why that same man could, after many years of experience in Christ, utter to a people who were at the very beginnings of a brutal persecution, the words, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers. God is not absent from our weariness of heart in the midst of bearing the burdens of life. In fact, God enjoined himself to them through the cross. Our sufferings never escape his notice. And he has made them the place where we can always encounter him, bearing them with us and for us. God willingly experienced falling down as our stations depict in three different places. He willingly experienced the difficulty of getting back up again, the need to receive help to bear his burden to the end. He joined in solidarity with the exasperation, the thirst, and the exhaustion of human life. He did this once for all, so that in experiencing the temptations of dejection and despair in his own soul, he would be present to us in all of ours, that we would not have to be alone there, ever. It means that the place in our hearts, where perhaps even now the voice of dejection speaks with greatest persuasion, is very likely the place where Christ is standing, as he did for Peter, on the shores of what seems most lifeless and hopeless within us, ready to speak the word if we are willing to just trust him a little bit. The place where the vocation of our life comes to find us where the labor that defines us as Christians begins there. Somewhere in all of our hearts this morning is something or someone about which or about whom we are tempted to give up hope after toiling in the night trying to work it out by ourselves. I invite you to open the heart just a little bit to Christ this morning in the Eucharist. It is okay to let the guard down. Or, if that still seems too far beyond reach, if it still seems too hard to get up from under the dejection, perhaps just look up once more than you otherwise would have. After all, even a small 
and halting, nevertheless, can be the beginning of salvation, the restoration of a broken heart, and the kindling of a patient and enduring hope. Master, we have toiled all the night, and we have caught nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.